0: What? 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 I know how we can run everybody out of rock reach. How? We'll kill the firstborn male child in every household. Too Jewish.
1: Shalom and welcome to the Too Jewish radio show with Rabbi Sam Kohan and Friends, a weekly serving of everything Jewish. We'll have a great hour together today of news, music, comedy, and conversation. Our guest this morning from Tel Aviv is Shanna Fold podcaster of the Israel Daily News podcast, journalist, author, and activist. We'll also have a visit from our expert on the international Jewish scene, Tom Price. Please email your comments to us at 2JewishRadio18 at gmail.com or visit us on the web at 2JewishRadio.com. The opinions of the host and guests on 2Jewish are their own and not those of the radio station. 2Jewish is paid for by 2Jewish Radio Programs and Podcasts, Tucson, Arizona. And now, here's Rabbi Sam Kohan and 2Jewish.
2: Shalom. Well, that didn't take long. Anti-Semitism was on full display all around our nation just two weeks after Hamas' brutal, murderous display of Palestinian-Arab terrorism against Jews in Israel— On college campuses all across the U.S., genocidal chants of from the river to the sea, all of Palestine will be free rang out, while anti-Semitic attacks and, of course, vandalism were up nearly everywhere. I've been asked about the historical origins of anti-Semitism, and that is a fascinating subject to discuss. But this morning, I'd like to focus on the assumptions that lie behind this latest round of hostility to Jews. Number one, the Israeli government showed weakness in failing to predict or prevent this horror and failing to quickly enough respond to the worst and most brutal attack on Jews since the Holocaust. Any perceived weakness from Israel in the past or now or in its response to this Hamas-Palestinian terrorism provides an opening for those who hate Jews and hate the existence of a democratic, free, modern society in the Middle East. Perceived Jewish weakness is always an opening for pogroms. That is why any ceasefire now before Hamas is totally destroyed will lead to existential destruction for Israel. Israel's very survival depends on the fear of Israeli military strength by its enemies. As soon as that is undermined, Israel is in deep trouble from the storm of anti-Semitism always all around it. Number two, the younger, educated American, Canadian, and European generation is always attracted to underdog causes of grieved people who feel that they are oppressed, Because universities allow anything to be said on campus in the name of free speech, provided it doesn't offend people of color or attack sexual orientation... And because, on campus, Jews are somehow perceived to be white Anglo-Saxons, which we are not, well-funded Arab propagandists have had a field day on college campuses for years. There are many peoples on Earth who suffer far greater oppression than Palestinian Arabs. Armenians, Kurds, Yazidis, all the Syrian minorities, all Iranian minorities, and on and on. But these tortured peoples don't have Arab oil money supporting them. And good luck finding any protests against, say, the takeover in Nagorno-Karabakh and the creation of millions of Armenian refugees yet again. Number three. Pro-Palestinian propaganda has now characterized Jews as oppressors and Israel as a colony, of which Jewish nation we cannot imagine, In the indigenous Arab Middle East, that the Palestinians are armed by and financially supported by Iranian Persians, not Arabs, who seek the destruction of both Israel and the U.S. does not penetrate this rhetoric. This colonial language is always attractive to progressives who rightly view colonialism as morally wrong. The problem with that illogic, of course, is that Jews belong in Israel. It has been our homeland for 3,000 years. We are not colonizers and never have been. But boy, is this being pushed hard now all over America. Number four, the suffering of civilians in Gaza is indeed terrible. Its cause is Palestinian Arab terrorism under the direction of the lying Islamists of Hamas. They love death and murder. They are delighted with the martyring of their people that they have engendered. Hamas terrorists hide now in their spider web of underground tunnels, sheltered from the aerial bombardment of their people that they obligated Israel to provide. The world media's approach to fairness inevitably focuses on providing a balanced view, quote-unquote, even when there is no balance between good and evil in a situation. And so the anti-Semites pick up on this, too. Number five, American anti-Semitism was in real decline for decades before it suddenly was allowed out in the open in late 2016 and normalized by events like the Charlottesville Unite the Right hate rally in 2017. The first synagogue murders occurred the next year in 2018, were followed by another in 2019. It became evident you could attack Jews with impunity in America again. In fact, the hatred of Jews was probably always there, just under the surface. But boy, it's out now. It may be called anti-Zionism, but it is anti-Semitism. Only Jews aren't allowed to have their own country. Number six. Finally, we American Jews and Israelis have mostly failed to explain this situation effectively and persuasively, especially to our own young people. Terrorists are not reasonable people with whom you can negotiate and compromise. They desire, above all, your death, and to commit it brutally if at all possible. From the river to the sea means not only destroying Israel, but murdering all of its residents, especially the Jews. Let's be clear about what people are calling for here now. Hamas burned families alive and video recorded it and posted it to brag about doing so. It's a tough time right now, and I expect anti-Semitism will continue to rise as Israel acts to protect itself— and re-establish deterrence in a very brutal part of the world. To play us in this morning, here's a piece of history. Oscar Hammerstein and Richard Rodgers for Brotherhood Week back in the 1950s. with a song from South Pacific, You've Got to Be Taught.
0: The National Conference of Christians and Jews have the help of Richard Rodgers at the piano and Oscar Hammerstein in setting the mood of Brotherhood Week with one of their famous tunes. In the second act of South Pacific, a young American Navy nurse explaining her race prejudice says, I can't help this. This is emotional. It's born in me. And the second character, the man who is losing her because of this prejudice, shouts his protest I do not believe this. I do not believe these things are born in you. And a third character, a young marine lieutenant, played by my friend here, Bill Tabbert, says... It's not born in you. It happens after you're born. You've got to be taught to hate and fear. You've got to be taught from year to year. It's got to be drummed in your dear little ear. You've got to be carefully taught. You've got to be taught to be afraid of people whose eyes are oddly made and people whose skin is a different shade. You've got To be carefully taught, you've got to be taught before it's too late. Before you are six or seven or eight, to hate all the people your relatives hate, you've got to be carefully taught. You've got.
2: That was You've Got to Be Taught for Brotherhood Week, an institution we maybe need to revive. Brotherhood and Sisterhood Week or Sisterhood and Brotherhood Week again these days. Our guest this morning is Shanna Fould, the terrific podcaster from the Israel Daily News in Tel Aviv. Her experience as an American who made Aliyah to Israel as a journalist, podcaster, and activist is extraordinary. She's great. And she joins us in just a moment here on two Jewish. We are the soul of Tucson. We are your neighbors
3: and friends. Our commitment to provide the very best relies on the finest products and services. You, our community has to offer together. We make Tucson Thrive. When we win, you win. Casino del Sol, the soul of Tucson.
1: Enterprise of the Pasquayaki tribe. What is the Torah? What's the Talmud? How do Jews celebrate the Sabbath? Why do we start our days at night? How long have Jews been around? What do Jews believe about life after death? What are the major and minor Jewish holidays? What are the life cycle events for a Jew? why is israel so important what is jewish music what are the best jewish foods and why are they so connected to holidays if you're interested in learning the ins and outs of judaism join rabbi sam kohan for this weekly class sunday afternoons 2 to 3 30 p.m in person and on zoom introductory judaism is perfect for someone considering becoming jewish or coming back to judaism or learning about judaism for the first time or getting connected to jews through relationship or marriage introductory judaism runs from october to may each sunday afternoon questions call 520-276-5675 that's 520-276-5675 Or register at www.BaitSimchaTucson.org.
2: We are delighted to welcome to Two Jewish, uh, a very special guest. Shanna Fold is a journalist, podcaster, host, writer. Um, reporter, a lot of things. Her Israel Daily podcast has become a kind of mini sensation, maybe not so many, uh, with people listening every day to see the top five stories from Israel, but more importantly, to follow what's going on um, immediately. Good morning and welcome to 2Jewish.
4: Thank you. Thank you for having me. And you can never be too
2: Jewish. You know, that will end up uh, as a, an ongoing theme. We rotate some of those comments. So you're you're now are immortalized here on Too Jewish, um, along with uh, Ellie Wiesel of Blessed Memory. Some other people who have made such comments. Um Shanna, uh, you moved to Israel about, uh, I guess it's five years ago now. Tell us about that experience.
4: Oh, wow. Well, yeah. So about five years ago, I read a book and it talked about not putting off your dreams because you never know what is going to come up next. And it talks about how if you have an idea, if there's something that you want to do, if there's something that you feel inspired to do, you got to do it today. And so I committed to moving to Israel. It was something that I had always thought, maybe I'll do a year. Maybe I'll live a year. Maybe I'll live two years. And I've been here ever since. And uh, so that one year turned into two years. And that two, two years turned into five. And um, I was working at New York One News in Manhattan, where I was a writer. And I definitely was living out my dreams to work at a New York City TV station. But I... I decided that I wanted to be, I wanted to do my own stories. And I was at, at that time writing for somebody else, and which was great, great experience. I mean, all of the experience that I ever had led me to being able to have the skills to do what I do now with the Israel Daily News podcast. And uh, I moved to Israel kind of without really thinking that much about it. And I got here. I made a few friends. And I found my way. I started with a journalism job, and then I tried my hand at working in high tech, because that's what everyone does in Tel Aviv. And I thought, let me have this experience. I hated not being a journalist. I hated not being a journalist. I It is my identity. It's what I do. And I like. I never like to use my words to make money. I like to use my words to inform people. And with my tech job, I was kind of writing marketing-related materials and... Uh,
2: not, not what you wanted to be doing. No,
4: not what I wanted to be doing. Uh, words are important. Words, you got to be careful with words. So I, I decided to go back to being a journalist. And uh,
2: So I want you to just share something um, before we started. You mentioned that you get your exercise by swimming off the beach in Tel Aviv, which is a great place to swim, um, but uh, that's not without risk right now.
4: Certainly, it's not without risk. I Not only do I get my exercise by doing laps in the sea, but I also have a few minutes with God. And I get to breathe and I get to pause life's busyness for a few moments. And the last two weeks, I haven't been able to do that a little more than two weeks at this point because the war started on October 7th. And we've been bombarded with missiles, especially in Tel Aviv. And so what happens with those missiles is that they get intercepted intercepted by the Iron Dome. And that often causes them to explode in the air. And then shrapnel comes down. And it's very common that the rockets are, are intercepted over the sea because it's somewhat, you know, they try to intercept those rockets in places where there are not going to be so many people, typically over an open field, sometimes over the sea. And so I decided that enough is enough. I've got to get a little exercise. I'm going out of my mind in the house, not moving my body enough. So yesterday I went down to the sea. I decided to take a swim. And just about as soon as I got out, there was a siren calling everyone to run for cover. And I had to run, and sure enough, I heard loud, clear as day. It it popped over the sky, over my head. So, it's it's a risk going out of that. Going out of the house is a risk. Staying in the house is a risk. It's all. We don't know.
2: And, th- and this is in Tel Aviv. You know, this is not this is on a southern border. It's not Ashkelon. It's not on the northern border, right in Tel Aviv. We will talk much more with Shanna Fold, who has created the Israel Daily News podcast, uh, a dynamic and exciting voice in Judaism We'll be come back in a moment here on To Jewish. Beit Simcha, the House of Joy, a wonderful Jewish synagogue in northwest Tucson and the Catalina Foothills, celebrates a fabulous array of services, classes and events this fall and winter. Established by passionate, caring congregants and me, Rabbi Sam Kohan, nearly five years ago, Beit Simcha is a vibrant, vital community that strives every day to serve God with joy. Progressive congregation in Northwest Tucson and the Foothills, Beit Seemcha is open to everyone throughout the metropolitan area, providing weekly Shabbat services, youth and adult education academy courses, social justice opportunities, outreach, and cultural Jewish programming. Join us in person for Shabbat services, or you can come on Facebook Live, go to our website. Beit Simcha Tucson.org B-E-I-T-S-I-M-C-H-A Tucson.org We welcome members and guests in our sanctuary in person. Call 520 276 Religious school is going strong for school-aged children or grandchildren. Join us in our fabulous Hebrew school Bar and Bat Mitzvah programs. Torah Tykes experience, confirmation, and teen programs all in a fun, relaxed setting with great Jewish learning. Go to Beit Simcha Tucson.org, B-E-I-T-S-I-M-C-H-A Tucson.org to sign up. Beit Simcha's services, classes, and events are open to everyone. Friday night is at 6.30 p.m. Saturday morning. 9 a.m. Torah study followed by 10 a.m. Shabbat services and Torah reading. All of them are always followed with delicious food and drink. You can also come to services on our Facebook page, Beit Simcha Tucson, B-E-I-T-S-I-M-C-H-A Tucson, all of our Adult Education Academy classes, including Torah Study, are both live and on Zoom. You can access those through the website, Beit Religious School is available in person and also on Zoom. For more information about Beit Simcha, to come to services, religious school, Torah Types programs, Bar and Bat Mitzvah, Confirmation, high school programs, and our wonderful array of Adult Education Academy courses, taught live and on Zoom, and all of our services in person and on Facebook, Go to Beit Simcha Tucson.org, contin- B E I T S I M C H A Tucson.org, or call 520 276 5675. That's 520 276 5675. Join me, Rabbi Sam Kohan, in the fastest growing, most dynamic Jewish congregation in all of southern Arizona. Beit Simcha. If you have a question, comment, compliment, or a criticism, Kvetch or email us at two Jewishradio eighteen at gmail.com. That's T-O-O Jewish Radio 18 at Gmail, or go to our website tojewishradio.com. You can hear all past and present shows through the website, streaming us from there or downloading us from the Apple iTunes stories very popular Jewish podcast. Top 10 in America Corner moment magazine, 200,000 downloads on PodBean and on Spotify too. Post a rating, review to Jewish. Those comments help. The stories we share last a lifetime and are passed down from generation to generation, known for our compassionate commitment to the families we serve. Evergreen Mortuary and Cemetery has faithfully served the Tucson community and the Jewish community for over 100 years. We help thousands of families plan and carry out celebrations of loved ones in unique and special ways and assist them in sharing those lifetimes of stories meaningfully. The most beautiful and tranquil final resting place in all of southern Arizona, Evergreen's tall pines shade peaceful, grassy fields. You can count on Evergreen for superior service and the highest degree of integrity. Our informative, well-trained staff is here to assist you with a full range of on-site services. Call Evergreen, 520-888-7470, 520-888-7470. While we serve the whole community, our experience conducting Jewish funerals, reform, conservative, and orthodox is second to none. We have sections dedicated to all religious faiths, can help you arrange for your future needs or your immediate ones. Whether you choose to hold a traditional funeral service or a completely individualized ceremony, either in person or online or both, our goal is to help you create a meaningful, personalized service based upon your unique needs in a place of reflection, tradition, and serenity. Evergreen Mortuary and Cemetery offers the best to the community and to you. Call 520-888-7470 to speak to a family advisor at Evergreen. Call 520-888-7470. We welcome our expert on the international Jewish scene, Tom Price. Good morning, Tom. Good morning, Rabbi. You just came back from, uh, among other places, Belgrade, Tell us a little bit about an unusual experience there.
5: Those of your listeners who know me personally or who've listened regularly over the past 20 years...
2: As they were supposed
5: to. ...will recall that I was once a U.S. Foreign Service officer working as an American diplomat overseas. And one of the things that was drilled into us repeatedly and very insistently was don't ever go anywhere near a demonstration or a march or any mass gathering because... A, it can turn ugly. B, photojournalists can use a photo of you to blame the whole thing on the U.S. or for for whatever reasons they want. You can't control that. So the line was, don't go. And for many years after I left the Foreign Service, I scrupulously avoided large gatherings. I mean, I never go to even concerts or sporting events, let alone demonstrations. That's why you don't go to Shabbat services regularly too, Tom. I just wanted to... Yeah, right. So the Belgrade Jewish community organized a so-called march for peace in solidarity with Israel this past Sunday morning. And the Belgrade Jewish community is not one of the largest in Europe. They have one rabbi, sort of barely, and one Chabad rabbi who they regard as an alien implant, and that's it. And neither of those rabbis attended this event in showing great solidarity with the community. <laughs> On the other hand, I would say Maybe two-thirds of the people there were Jewish, um, and one third at least were not. And probably half the people were actually Serbian, and the other half was an interesting mixture of Israelis, Russians, Ukrainians, Americans, and countless others. But those were those were the largest groups, and they were readily identifiable by the language they were speaking with each other. So it was a very diverse group which walked through the center of Belgrade carrying, in my case, a small Israeli flag, but in some cases, huge banners, like a heavy Israeli flag on a flagpole. And the reaction of people on the streets was universally positive. Like one little old lady was tending her shop on the street. There's a lot of of street life in Belgrade, which makes it a very pretty and a very walkable city. But this lady, as we walked past, said, long live Israel in Serbian. And the the whole atmosphere was very supportive of both the Israeli flag and the idea that people express solidarity with Israel in these dark times. I also had a very interesting encounter just before it began as people were gathering. A friend of mine introduced me to the guy who's now president of the Belgrade Jewish Youth Organization. And... But to me, he looked 12, of course. <laughs> of course. But we were talking, and I revised my opinion upwards. Well, he had blonde hair and like a baby face, whatever. So I decided he was 22. And apparently, I must have been speaking, well, he's a foreigner. English is his second or third or fourth language. So apparently, I was using simple words and speaking very slowly. And he said, just out of curiosity, how old do you think I am? And I said, 22. He said, oh, you're very kind. I'm 33. Oh, my goodness. So then- <laughs> I, of course, said, and how old do you think I am? He look, looked me up and down from head to toe and from toe to head and said, I would give you 47 or 48. Thank you very much. Which was like <laughs> even kinder. <laughs> so I left there feeling pretty good about the whole thing. Yeah. Um, it stopped raining. Uh, the sky sort of lit up. It ended in a very historic, iconic Belgrade landmark called Kala Megdon. That's an old, old fort built on a cliff over the juncture of the Danube and the Sava rivers. And it goes back at least as far as the Romans, probably actually back to prehistoric times. So it was an interesting point at which the march for
2: peace terminated. Tom, thank you. Uh, As always, an, an interesting view of a part of the world and a Jewish part of the world I don't think most of us have been to. Thanks so much. We'll talk next week. I look forward to it. It's time now for our old Jewish joke of the week, Jewish humor, your Bubby and Zadie new, brought to you by Too Jewish as a Public Service. Sadie is divorcing her husband, Maury. The judge asks Sadie, So, Sadie, how old are you? I'm 30 years old, Your Honor. The judge replies, Answer my question honestly. How old are you, really? I'm 30 years old, Your Honor, answers Sadie again. Well, says the judge, Sadie, you're not being truthful. It's written here you were born in 1932. That means you're more than 90 years old. But, Your Honor, says Sadie, I'm not counting the last 60 years with my husband. Why not, asks the judge. That you call living, says Sadie? That was the old Jewish joke of the week. Special feature of Two Jewish just for you. You should live and be well. And now a word of Torah. If you were to define the ultimate Jewish characteristic, you might start with our tendency to argue about everything. Or you could list kvetching as the most Jewish attribute, perhaps. But I think chutzpah is very likely the quality that people should see as the most Jewish aspect of all. This week's Parsha Torah portion of Vayera is famous for many things, not least of them the prediction of the birth of Isaac and the binding of that favorite son of Abraham, long after he's born, on the altar in the Akedah, chanted on Rosh Hashanah morning, traditionally. But perhaps of greatest importance here is a message we learn from Abraham's insistence on protesting for justice in the incident of Sodom and Gomorrah. It's a signal indication that we as Jews have a moral responsibility to speak up when we know injustice is being promoted or even made possible to show chutzpah, nerve, in the service of righteousness. In Vayera, our portion this week, God decides to punish the evil actions of the twin cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. These two towns, dripping rottenness, were located in the depths of the Jordan Rift Valley near the Dead Sea. In a dramatic dialogue, Abraham argues with God on behalf of the spectacularly sinful citizens of the worst cities of the ancient world. Our father Abraham insists God must be absolutely certain that there are no righteous people in these places before destroying them. In fact, Abraham has the temerity to insist that God should feel guilty about entertaining the very possibility of killing the innocent people along with the guilty of executing collective punishment. As Abraham puts it memorably, shall the judge of the whole earth not act with justice? This is a supreme act of chutzpah, the first Jew of all time using Jewish guilt to emotionally blackmail God into being more just and more merciful. But there are really two different versions of Abraham in this same portion. There's the guy who immediately does everything God commands in the section of the Akedah, the Binding of Isaac, a section that fortunately ends happily with a ram caught by his shofar in the bush, substituting for Isaac as the sacrifice. You know, rabbis always preach about this Bide of Isaac story on Rosh Hashanah, not me, because the lesson we really learn from it is not the one our rabbis should teach. God orders Abraham to sacrifice his only son Isaac on Mount Moriah in this portion, and Abraham does as he is told without complaint, does not protest at all. The result is that he nearly ends up killing his own beloved child on the altar of his faith. That to me is an obedient, faithful, compliant Abraham, the non-Jewish version of Abraham. It is the Abraham who doesn't have the chutzpah to protest to God against an insane, unjust order. I prefer the Jewish Abraham here in Vayera, the guy who argued for the no-goodniks even of Sodom and Gomorrah. So concerned was he with the ethics of God's justice. That's the kind of great Jew we should all admire. That's the Torah portion we really should read on Rosh Hashanah, a reminder that every Jew has a responsibility to stand up for justice. It might not make us easy or comfortable, but it puts us on the side of right, which is where we Jews must be. When we come back in a moment, our guest this morning, Shanna Fol, shares her own personal stories about being in Israel during the war with Hamas, where she lives. Hear them when we come back in a moment on Too Jewish.
1: We continue with our Too Jewish update on news of Jews around the world with commentary.
2: Student groups in New York and nationwide in America staged a walkout in support of Palestinian terrorists last week. That happened on all the University of California campuses as well. And anti-Semitism was on full display in New York City. A pro-Palestinian rally in Washington Square Park near NYU's campus featured a demonstrator with an anti-Semitic sign reading, please keep the world clean, and a figure placing a star of David in a trash bin. Video from the event showed dozens of demonstrators chanting, globalize the Intifada. Police and Jewish security groups have continued to report spikes in anti-Semitic incidents since Hamas's brutality October 7th. That has happened throughout the New York region, but all around the country. In New York, where Jews are targeted by hate crimes far more than any other group, the attacks have ranged from physical assaults to racist graffiti and harassment. Perhaps worse, Jewish students at Cooper Union, a New York City college, were locked in their school's library for 20 minutes as pro-Palestinian demonstrators pounded on the doors and shouted slogans. The incident at Cooper Union, a private college in downtown Manhattan, occurred after pro-Palestinian and pro-Israel students both held dueling rallies. It came on a day when at an NYU protest nearby, a protester waved a sign depicting an Israeli flag with a Star of David prominent in a trash can. Meanwhile, uptown at Columbia University, anti-Semitic acts had become common. There, supporters of Israel rallied and decried that school's own administration. Footage from the incident at the Cooper Union showed a group of Jewish students in the library while protesters outside banged on the building's doors and windows, shout chanting "Free Palestine," waving signs advocating boycott of Israel and calling for a ceasefire in Israel's war against Hamas in Gaza. Building staff decided to lock the doors to protect the students. The Jewish ones in the library, Columbia, Harvard, and other Ivy League colleges have been rocked by controversy since Hamas attacked Israel. Pro-Palestinian student organizations have come out and supported the terror group's October 7th attack. After Israel began its counteroffensive against Hamas, protests against Israel intensified, including in recent days. At Columbia in New York City, right next door to Jewish Theological Seminary, on October 9th, long before Israel's military response caused significant damage, Columbia's Students for Justice in Palestine said that it stands in full solidarity with Palestinian resistance and called the Hamas attack an unprecedented historic moment for the Palestinians. A 19-year-old attacked an Israeli student with a stick outside Columbia's main library October 11th that is resulting in hate crimes charges. Columbia's student branches of Students for Justice in Palestine and the anti-Zionist Jewish Voice for Peace announced the walkout last week as part of a national student protest against the siege and genocide in Gaza. The student groups demanded the university divest from Israel and students stand against the university's support for a genocidal and settler colonial regime. Uh Uh-huh. The university's Hillel rabbi, that's at Columbia, Jonah Hain, wrote in the student newspaper that he was distressed by the situation in campus and felt increasingly unable to advocate effectively for Columbia's Jewish students. I am intended to be a non alarmist voice of reason, wrote the rabbi, and throughout my tenure I have seen many colleagues broaden their understanding of Jewish discomfort, discrimination, self censorship, and anti Semitism, Hain wrote. He has been at Columbia since 2007. For years, I played this role with the understanding that the flip side would be true as well, that if I ever did sound the alarm, it would not fall on deaf ears. Well, folks, I am sounding the alarm, ringing the bell, and screaming from the rooftops. You have normalized anti-Semitism. Columbia postponed its annual fundraising drive. It was scheduled to start last week, saying it was not the appropriate time. Several prominent donors have pulled funds from other Ivy League schools, including Harvard and the University of Pennsylvania in recent weeks, due to anti-Semitism and the university administration's pathetic response to Hamas's brutality. At Columbia, in response to the weak and pathetic administration approach to Hamas's murderous tax, hundreds of students and supporters lined Broadway outside the school's gates, waving Israeli flags, holding images of the hostages Hamas abducted in a display of support for Jewish students and criticism of the administration due to its inaction in the face of threats to Jews. The demonstrators at the rally chanted, End Jew hatred and free Gaza from Hamas. A passing truck with an electronic billboard displayed images of the captives held in Gaza and other students streamed by. Students chanted, Shame on you! In a message directed at the university's leadership, which has allowed a hostile atmosphere for Jews as student groups applaud the Hamas attack and bars Zionists, quote unquote, from on-campus events. The university is not doing anything, not condemning any of the terror attacks that happened, said Columbia student Noah Gorecki. It's just disappointing that this kind of university chooses to behave like that and we're doing everything we can, she said, adding Jewish students felt unsafe, scared and angry. Last week, Columbia President Manush Shafiq called for civility on campus and condemned online harassment, saying some students had been victimized by doxing, but her statements did not condemn Hamas. Jews and supporters of Israel on campus have called for Shafiq to do more. An Israeli professor, Shai Davidai, made a viral speech last week directed at parents, saying, I want you to know we cannot protect your children from pro-terror student organizations at Columbia. None of the presidents of universities all around the country are willing to take a stand. This is what cowards do. I'll name it now. President Manoush Shafiq of Columbia University, you are a coward, he said. But it's not just Columbia. At George Washington University in Washington, D.C., giant video messages, including Glory to our Martyrs, the Vestment from Zionist Genocide Now, and Free Palestine from the River to the Sea, appeared on the side of a library building for two hours, drawing a crowd of counter protesters on an adjacent plaza. Some sang the Hebrew song O Se Shalom, a passage from, of course, the Daily Prayer calling for peace. Four student demonstrators associated with Students for Justice in Palestine were responsible for the video display. Other phrases they projected were, end the siege of Gaza, George Washington, the blood of Palestine is on your hands, GW is complicit in genocide in Gaza, your tuition is funding genocide, etc. To her credit. The president of George Washington, Ellen Granberg, has published two statements about the war, including one condemning the celebration of terrorism that followed another SJP's demonstration. Outside of Boston, Brandeis University's student government voted down a resolution condemning Hamas and calling on the terror group to release its hostages. Brandeis... Only six members of the university's Student Union Senate voted in favor of the resolution. Ten voted against, five abstained. It's infuriating, absolutely infuriating, said Stephen Gaughan, a Jewish sophomore who resigned from his position on the Brandeis student government over the vote. The word that comes to mind most is outrage. Located just west of Boston, of course, Brandeis was founded in 1948 by the Jewish community. It is named for Louis Brandeis, the first Jewish justice to serve on the U.S. Supreme Court. It was founded as a non-sectarian Jewish university funded by Jewish donors. Jewish students make up a third of the undergraduates, giving Brandeis one of the highest concentrations of Jewish students at any college in the country. There were a few positive signs on college campuses last week. Nowhere near enough, but some. October 9th, the Monday following the horrific Hamas brutality, Dartmouth announced it would hold two public forums on the Israeli-Palestinian crisis, featuring professors from Israel, Lebanon, and Egypt. Like many of you, I watch with growing horror the Hamas attack on Israel this weekend, the escalating violence, and the devastating loss of life among civilians, wrote Sean Leab. Baylock, the university's president, and a letter to the campus community urging students and faculty to attend the forums. Those forums featured Ezzedine Fischer, an Egyptian novelist, diplomat, and academic who was a leader during Egypt's Tahrir Square protest, Susanna Heschel, the chair of the Judaic Studies Department at Dartmouth, Jonathan Smolin, a Middle Eastern Studies professor who teaches Arabic literature, Bernard Avishai, an Israeli scholar and New Yorker contributor who has been openly critical of Israel's rightward turn, and Tariq El Aris, a Lebanese-born expert on modernity in the Arab world who chairs Middle Eastern Studies. The professors came up with the idea for the forum in the hours after the terrorist attack. We have friendship, we have trust, said Susanna Heschel, a past guest of two Jewish, and that meant that when this happened, we were all upset. We decided we have to do something. The group reserved a classroom, a small one, assuming 20 people would show up. A hundred did, requiring an overflow room, with an additional 600 watching the video feed. The second forum drew 300 people to a larger auditorium with over 5,000 viewers on YouTube. At the first forum, a student suggested Hamas attack and Israel's retaliation demand moral outrage, not academic discussion. We can do two things at the same time, Fisher said. We can be morally outraged at brutality and we can try to understand what leads to it, where it comes from, what explains it and so on. These are not mutually exclusive things. In a college, that's what we're doing. This is why we study. If only more universities understood that. In also more positive news, in its first action after finally reopening under its new speaker, Mike Johnson, the U.S. House of Representatives overwhelmingly condemned the deadly invasion of Israel by Hamas October 7th, which started Israel's current war against the terror group in Gaza. With the most co-sponsors of any resolution ever, this measure sends a clear message across the globe. The U.S. stands with Israel, said Representative Michael McCall, the Texas Republican who chairs the Foreign Affairs Committee. The resolution was approved 412 to 10, with another six members voting present out of 435 congresspeople. For the record, voting against the resolution supporting Israel and condemning the Hamas massacres and abductions were Thomas Massey of Kentucky, a Republican, and nine Democrats, Rashida Tlaib of Michigan, Ilhan Omar of Minnesota, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez of New York, Jamal Bowman of New York, Cory Bush of Missouri, Al Green of Texas, Summer Lee of Pennsylvania, Andre Carson of Indiana, and Delia Ramirez of Illinois. The Democratic no votes were mostly from the squad, the group of progressive lawmakers. And that's the two Jewish news of Jews around the world.
1: What is the Torah? What's the Talmud? How do Jews celebrate the Sabbath? Why do we start our days at night? How long have Jews been around? What do Jews believe about life after death? What are the major and minor Jewish holidays? What are the life cycle events for a Jew? Why is Israel so important? What is Jewish music? What are the best Jewish foods and why are they so connected to holidays? If you're interested in learning the ins and outs of Judaism, join Rabbi Sam Kohan for this weekly class, Sunday afternoons, 2 to 3.30 p.m., in person and on Zoom. Introductory Judaism is perfect for someone considering becoming Jewish, or coming back to Judaism, or learning about Judaism for the first time, or getting connected to Jews through relationship or marriage. Introductory Judaism runs from October to May each Sunday afternoon. Questions? Call 520-276-5675. That's 520-276-5675. Or register
2: at org. We welcome back to Two Jewish, our guest this morning, Shana Fold, who's the creator of the Israel Daily News podcast, which uh, one of the fastest-growing podcasts on, uh, I think, anything, but certainly on Israel and on in Jewish news. She's a journalist, broadcaster, host, writer. I probably forgot six or seven other things. They used to say in Israel, you were never really an Israeli until you were doing the work for your third job while you were at your second job. I, I don't think that's so true. <laughs> it seems like it might be true for you. Is that so?
4: It's definitely true for me, but it's for so many people, and if they're not having a second or a third job, they're having a second or a third something that they're doing. People are so active here, whether they're running outside groups, helping their community, volunteering, they might be on a volleyball team. People are doing all kinds of stuff here. Uh,
2: I want you to tell us a little bit about your experience on October 7th, which was... Um, You know, uh, terrible but unique because it was obviously Shemini Yatzeret, Simchat Torah. Um, Tell us, you know, kind of how you found out what was going on.
4: Sure. Well, I am a Sabbath observant Jew, and I don't use my cell phone on Shabbat. So some of my friends joke that I had, I got an extra day of peace because that Saturday, I first of all slept through two alarms in the morning, which is pretty alarming itself that I slept through those. So I slept through the sirens that went off at 630 and 730 in the morning here in uh, in Tel Aviv. And when I got up, I, I I got ready to go to synagogue. I had a specific synagogue I was planning on going to in order to celebrate a friend who is hosting a kiddish And on my walk there, I noticed there was something weird in the air. It was kind of quiet. I didn't see people on the street. Usually it's Saturday morning, Tel Aviv. People are going to the beach. They're on a run. They're doing all kinds of stuff. They're sitting out having coffee. That wasn't the case on Saturday, October 7th. And when I got to the shul, people welcomed me in a way that I didn't understand why they were welcoming me. They said, Shanna, we're so happy to see you, especially with everything that's going on. And I didn't really know what they were talking about, but there's always a lot going on in Israel. And we've been through a lot of political turmoil, and we had a lot of turmoil as well on, uh, on Yom Kippur, where there were protests in the city of Tel Aviv against people that wanted to observe the holiday outdoors with a macheta. So I really wasn't exactly sure what troubles everyone was talking about until I started to understand more and more. Someone told me, you didn't hear the siren, there was a siren this morning. And people at the what weren't 100% clear what was going on, but they knew that there was a terror attack. Fast forward, I was invited to a lunch. I walked to the lunch, it was very eerily quiet, and I knocked on the door of my my host, and they came to the door so happy to see me. Shanna, we didn't think you were gonna make it. I'm so glad that you're here, I'm so glad that you're safe. And when I got inside, my host told me that there had been an infiltration, an invasion, and that there were a lot of people dead that there were people taken and that this was and that it was being called Israel's 9/11 and i sat with them to eat we we spoke about it on again off again and i walked home to my apartment with a heavy heart on my way i watched the sunset and i knew as i was sitting there that i was going to be in for a long night and so i wasn't really in a rush to turn my phone on i'll be honest When I did turn my phone on, I had endless messages, emails, phone calls. Everyone was worried about me, and that was my day. I got to work. Trust me, I got to work that night. The
2: um, disruption to daily life with the call-up of all the reservists from Israel, um, how do you see that affecting things right now?
4: I feel it. I feel it. I feel it. You're not seeing as many young men in the streets, uh, one of my friends that lives really close by to me, and I go to have a coffee with her on a lot of weekday mornings, she's living with her sister because her sister's husband is in the reserves and her sister has an infant. So she's now living with the sister to help take care of the infant. And there's a lot of this going on. There's a lot of women that are taking care of their kids without the support of their husband. And it feels real. It feels like wartime because it is. But you know, we read about this kind of stuff in books. We read about, for example, during World War One and World War two where women became part of the workforce more than ever before in American history, because men simply were not around to do their job. And you read about it and you say, oh wow, look at that. And then you find yourself right in the middle of it where People are taking on roles that they wouldn't have otherwise taken. People are living in places they wouldn't have otherwise lived. And it's just very, uh, it's, it's very real. But I think we're all processing it on a day-to-day, you know, I. I one foot in front of the other.
2: A practical question for you. How do you decide when in Israel that there's only five stories to talk about each day? Seems like there must be, you know, a thousand things. How do you pick what you talk about?
4: So before the war time, I was pretty strict about doing five stories. Sometimes I would do six or seven, but the idea is to get it into 10 to 15 minutes. I threw that out the window <laughs> on October 7th.
2: I would think so.
4: I threw it out the window, and I haven't. I know that a lot of people have come to the Israel Daily News podcast because they get a snapshot and they like the link. But I kind of threw that out the window when I sat down on Saturday night, October 7th, and I wrote a broadcast, a breaking news broadcast. I don't usually report on Saturday nights. And I usually do a newsletter on Sunday, and then I start up with the podcast again on Monday. So I kind of went every day uh, since October 7th, just recording and recording. And that night, I just sat down. I went through all the news. There was so much to read. There was so much to compile. And I just wrote endlessly. I just wrote my script until I had written enough. And that's what I've been doing each day. And as things become a little bit more even, of course, we haven't had a ground invasion, so I can say this at this point, I, uh, I have been able to whittle it down a little bit from where I was a, a week and a half ago, um, but I, I'm just kind of letting people get whatever needs to be told, and I, it has not impacted my listenership. In fact, I've only grown, I can't even tell you how much I've grown I I have the largest listenership that I've ever had in my entire life, and I've been doing this for three and a half years.
2: Um, I I would say Mazaltov, but it's sort of for the wrong reasons, isn't it?
4: For sure, for sure. And reporters have to deal with that, that weird guilt.
2: Shanna, thank you so much. Stay safe, and uh, I I look forward to meeting in person sometime, maybe in Israel.
4: Oh, wow. Thank you so much. Well, you you let me know.
2: Will we come back in a moment? We'll hear about next week's guest on Two Jewish and get a final musical playout. We are the soul of Tucson. We are your
3: neighbors and friends. Our commitment to provide the very best relies on the finest products and services you, our community, has to offer. Together, we make Tucson thrive. When we win, you win. Casino del Sol, the soul
2: of Tucson, Enterprise of the Pascua Tribe. Thanks for being here with us this morning on To Jewish with me, Rabbi Sam Kohan. Join us next week. Our guest will be Lynn Golodner, podcaster, publisher, and author of a new novel about a woman becoming Orthodox and much more, Woman of Valor. And join us at Congregation Beit Simcha every Friday night for services in Onig Shabbat at 6.30 p.m. This Friday night is Membership Shabbat. Come and join. Saturday morning, 2, 9 a.m. Torah study, 10 a.m. services, Torah reading in Kiddish, live in person and on our Facebook page. Playout this morning comes from several famous Jewish a cappella groups, the Maccabees 613 and Y Studs. It's the prayer for the state of Israel, Avinu. My friends, may you have a Shavua tova, good week, a healthy week, and a week we pray profoundly of justice.
3: Avinu, Avinu,
1: Sponsored by Two Jewish Radio Programs, Tucson, Arizona.